Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on JewishCoffeeHouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca Frady, your host. Thanks for clicking back in. If you enjoyed the show, I want to ask you to support it by telling your friend, a few friends, to check out this podcast. I appreciate you so much. Last night, I will have performed my first concert in many years, two in one week, the one locally in Philadelphia, and this podcast coming out the day after. I can't wait to share pictures and videos online. I'm very excited for the concert that's going to be at the OU Center in Israel next Sunday night, February 11th. I linked a link in the show notes. Uh, the concert is for Miluim and Mifunim. Please share the link to women, mothers, and wives who would appreciate an event like this. Drinks and desserts, live music, tears, laughter, and hugs. Next week, I'll be releasing the panel with Abital Chizik Goldschmidt, Carly Khadash, and Shoshana Kitschaskal on how much do we need to know to actually feel. And I'd like to thank you for all your messages and feedback from last week's episode. I'm so happy I did it. I'm so happy I released it. And thank you to my aunt, Dr. Danielle Bloom, for suggesting the topic. Enjoy this episode. Here we go. Welcome to the show. Shalom Lifer. So great to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be be back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's never a pleasant topic, but yeah, it's good to be back. Thank you for having me. Uh, how did the other episode do? It did very well. People wrote in, some people were happy, some people less happy, but what you're doing is really important. So I'm happy you're out there doing this work. And that's why we're having you on because every case is important, but there's this specific case that I want to discuss today, which is very interesting and different. Catch us up on what's happening. Sure. I, I'm a little eager to speak about this case. Uh, I'm not usually eager to talk about my work publicly, but this one is just, you know, threw me for a loop. But before we get to that, I did want to, if I could give you a little, a quick update or your listeners an update. I know that when we talked last, the Yankee Daskal case came up during our conversation. And I remember some of the outreach that you had from listeners after that, you know, was in response to that specific case. So when we talked, I think that the criminal case was pending, was pre-trial. Since that time, Yankee Daskal pled guilty, accepted blame and, you know, swore on the oath that in fact he did rape a, a, a minor teen and did these horrible crimes to her that he was fighting tooth and nail and denying for five years and many, many supporters saying terrible things about his, his victim. When it turns out he, he actually swore on the oath that he actually did those things. And then he was later on sentenced to 17 and a half years in federal prison for those crimes. His sentencing itself was actually a, a little bit of a fiasco because dozens and dozens of to my great shame, from Hasidish people sh showed up to, in court to support him and to try to get him a, a more lenient sentence. And sorry to say that it, it backfired, actually. The judge was deeply offended that from people and people who, who represent a close-knit community who cares about one another it, it came to show support in the, in the many dozens for somebody like this. And in fact, he called it out in, in court, open court. He's, he said that the, that the community shares some of the blame for what happened. It was extremely harsh words. And then since then, uh, the survivor, Yaki Daskal, actually filed a lawsuit 
big bombshell also. It actually came out last week, the end of the week, against Dasco and against the Shomrim and against many people who aided and abetted or otherwise gained financially from Yankee Dasco. And that's going to be quite, quite a thing. So watch the space, like they say. And I just wanted to provide that, that update to listeners. And I just wanted to just briefly a word of caution. Everybody has an opinion about, or may have, or is entitled to an opinion about what did or didn't happen. I would hope that we all at least understand that we cannot make conclusions about what we didn't see. And you hear words like innocent until proven guilty, bandied about. I think I even mentioned that briefly in the last appearance uh, on your podcast. But I want everyone to remember that on the other side of this coin is a person as well, a human being, a survivor, a victim, somebody who first had to endure terrible, really hard ordeal and then deal with the shame and deal with the doubt and deal with the disbelief and deal with all those things that everybody deals with or, or one might imagine somebody would deal with. And then it's only to turn out to be true. And, and so when I say it's true, the man accepted guilt, the guilt and, and swore that he did it and, and accepted 17 and a half years of prison. So nobody should doubt for one second that anybody would do this voluntarily if in fact they didn't do this. They didn't do such a crime. And now that people are going to see a lawsuit and say, oh, She's make conclusions. You have to remember that innocent until proven guilty works both ways. You have to give the person coming forward the benefit of the doubt, just like you have to give the alleged, in this case, not alleged anymore, the criminal, the benefit of the doubt. And, and you need to also be very kind in your assessments. Down the cuffs also applies to somebody getting justice for themselves. And I just wanted to put that note out there, if I, if I could, and just a little update for the people listening, because I remember that story came up and also that there was feedback on it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. What's now you're doing something else full time. Can you catch us up on that? Oh, professionally? No, I, yeah, it's, it's irrelevant to my work. I I consult for a law firm in in the city. So I'm sort of putting my experience to use. It's a financial use. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I just want to, I want to clear that up. Nothing to do at all with abuse work, nothing to do with at all with, I don't gain financially from any, any of that work. This is in the, in the, in the finance world, it's a finance law firm, and I, I specifically consult for them on completely outside of the realm of any activism or advocacy. Thanks for that update. So let's talk about this case. <clears throat> so I'm assuming you're, you're, I mean, I don't want to assume you're, are you yeah, referring let's not to assume. the, right. Are you referring to the case that was uh, in the news a few weeks ago up in, in Maracan County? Yeah, where a young woman had to defend her sanity because her mother tried to lock her up in a mental institution. Right, yeah. For so making accusations. One. Right, yeah. okay. Let's try to go back a little bit. And with the understanding, please, and the, and the caveat that I can't speak too much about the details of the ongoing case that generated the, the petition that you, that you mentioned, because it is an ongoing investigation and there's, there's, I can't really talk about much. But to, to be clear, this is a story about a, a young woman in the Lifter family in, in Rockland County. I'm, I'm allowed to say the name because she came forward publicly, who accused her father of sexually abusing her growing up and also of trafficking her. Now, her father's name is Menachem Lifter, and he runs a big mental health company in Muncie, co-owns it, I should say, rather, with, with her mother. And in and of itself, there's nothing uh, unusual I would say in, in my line of work about that specific set of facts. 
unfortunately, when you deal with sexual abuse cases and allegations, the people who do the sexual abusing, sometimes it's extremely difficult to understand and difficult to swallow, but the reality is, is that when abuse occurs, most often it's, it occurs by somebody who has the most access. And, and that by definition requires us to understand that people who are around children the most, including their close family, or are the most likely to abuse them if they're, if one gets abused. And so there's nothing really special I want to say about that particular case. And I just want to make it clear also in the work that I do, a large percentage, over 50%, probably over 70% of the cases that I get are intrafamilial and actually father on daughter, I would say. It's a very high percentage. So just to deal with the shock value of the reality is, is that accusations oftentimes come from daughters to fathers, and they oftentimes come only once that person is grown sometimes many years after they're grown, and of course, after they're out of the house, right? So anyone who doubts or wonders why these things didn't come up earlier, it's pretty much pretty self-explanatory. People need the space to be on their own, away from their abuse, figure out what happened, et cetera, et cetera, and then also have the strength and ability. And that set of requirements doesn't happen often, sometimes never. Sometimes it takes decades, many decades for, for those things to be true enough for somebody to be able to discuss these types of things. But be that as it may, that's the case. The case is that there's a child, there's a, a young woman who, who made certain accusations. Really what's, what's weird about this case is what followed. The reaction to those accusations is different than I've ever seen before. Her, her parents, her father specifically, and her parents reacted in just the most aggressive manner that I've ever seen in any of the cases that I work with. Just Somebody once said that a best defense is a good offense. And I mean, this guy's taking it really to heart. But again, I can only tell you the way it looks to me. There's this expression in Yiddish, I don't know if I mentioned it on my, on my previous podcast, but the, tra the English translation is, the thief's hat is burning. And it's, it's the punchline of a long uh, muscle, a parable that we tell each other in Yiddish. But the essence of it is means that the person who's guilty will typically make noise about it themselves. And so he undertook a series of very aggressive moves to try to undermine this young woman's credibility and also her supporters. He went after a lot of supporters, people who even thought might be supporting her, got messages and letters, and they drafted this whole narrative, this whole long narrative about every aspect of her life that might cast doubt on. And I'm not even joking, by the way, going back to like her early, early childhood. I got this long list of things from her parents that might down to her like five, six years old. It was written up in a letter and sent out to everyone? Not to everyone, knew? but basically, yeah. Like the parents had this 35-page document <laughs> drafted, essentially. What was in there? Like she went to camp that year and she went yeah, to this yeah. school? and No, she, that's, she, was always, she was always defiant. She didn't do well in school. She wouldn't listen to us. One time this maybe happened. I guess also, I don't know, things that they, or time periods that they may know that she's going to bring up or that I can't, I, want, I don't want to speculate. It's just a, a fever dream of a document. It's honestly discrediting on its, on its own. But be that as it may, they, I'm saying all this to say not so much the specifics of what their attempt was, just that it's quite unusual 
for this, even in a, even in an environment where there is a lot of pushback and people do very aggressive things, you don't see this. You don't see just like attempt after attempt after attempt. Just to come. and then all of a sudden, it culminated in this bizarre petition being being filed by this woman's mother, a Frady Lifter, who is a co-owner of this mental health company. It's called Advenium in in Rockland County. And I'm laughing because I'm Freddy and my husband's Menachem and I just I don't oh. like how this is going. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, um, that's fine. Uh, but we're Cosman, uh, not Lifter. And so being in the mental health business, okay, to have access to really good mental health lawyers. And I, I guess they use the firm that they use for business, but a really well-recognized and well-respected firm. I recognize the name from my, my years in, in healthcare administration, filed this petition, a very rarely invoked law in, in New York State mental hygiene law, which, which allows, if you make a requisite showing, to have another adult deemed mentally incompetent and involuntarily committed. I did research with lawyers, very experienced lawyers in Rockland County. Nobody could remember in recent history anyone ever even trying something like this. It's just aggressive. Did you say something about hygiene? It's a mental hygiene law. Okay. And so Wait. just so it's just as I think mental hygiene in this particular sense is a term of art used for how New York State writes their mental health laws. So okay. mental health is mental hygiene. So there's a mental hygiene laws and then there's a mental health hygiene part of this New York State Supreme Court system. Like there's a criminal part and a civil part and a family part. There's a mental hygiene part. Okay. They basically got a judge to sign an emergency order to show cause, which is somebody bringing an emergency petition, demanding that the other party in their, in their claim come to court and show cause for why whatever they're requesting, in this case, her to be deemed insane and committed, why this should not be done. So in essence, you know, to come to court and like you said at the top of the show, prove her sanity. Now, I mean, I, I don't have to tell you the benefits to somebody who's facing allegations like this to even bring such an action because you forever get to say, well, I, I mean, <laughs> I have doubts whether she's even normal. But even Mr. Lifter, I don't think had the guts to bring this petition himself because it just, I mean, would be obstruction of justice. So he had his wife do it, which is something I've seen in the past where families were retaliating against adult female members who aren't keeping the secrets that they're supposed to keep you know, or keeping or not keeping quiet, like the quote unquote supposed to. And when I've seen the father, very controlling and manipulative, heartless fathers send the mother to court and do the quote unquote, the dirty work. And it, it always blows up in, in their face. As you might imagine, people are not crazy. <laughs> stupid. She uh, won. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll get there. Uh, okay. yeah, so, I mean, yeah, in, in short, she made the, They made this petition. And I just want to say that, you know, the judge signed the order on the 12th, I think it was December 12th, and gave them 10 days to serve her. And so they served her literally on the last day of time, which came out to be on like a Muzzy Shabbos in the middle of holiday weekend, like December 23rd. And so she couldn't find a lawyer until like days. And she had to appear in court for this order to show course on January 2nd. So they timed it in a way so that they literally just leave her with no options. And the other side was 
like I mentioned, nobody has any experience even fighting such cases. It was hard for me to find, not me, I mean, rather many people, but it was really hard to, fi to find her a lawyer that can handle this, whereas her parents came with like the best lawyers in the state <laughs> for this. And it was almost like it being in, in crazy land, no pun intended, because it was completely meritless petition. Literally, they were, they attached a, a report from a school guide, a school report from when she was nine. I kid you not, she's in her twenties. It was just a desperate, really bizarre thing to do. And frankly, she didn't really have to put on a defense. She got to court and she, she had many supporters. And so her mother asked for the court to be emptied, you know, closed to the public, which very, very strange thing to do when you are the one that goes to court violating somebody else's privacy. Then when you get there, you say, whoops, I, I didn't sign up for this. Let's close the court. And be that as it may, they closed the court. They put on their case and then the judge just dismissed it. <laughs> and the judge said, if I'm not directly quoting, then I'm very, only very closely paraphrasing that, that he's not, he that he'd not seen any evidence, let alone competent evidence for anything approaching the kind of relief that they were asking for. It was just an absolutely meritless and frivolous claim, but it was designed to embarrass and and intimidate her. Gaslight. You say the term gaslighting, and it's important to, to point out that it's a word used a lot now, but like it's you know very widely used. But this is actually the text. The literal definition. Yeah. The literal the definition of gaslighting is is making somebody doubt their sanity rather than what they know they experienced. And this is the cruelty and the callousness of such a that's why I said this is different than any other case, because the allegations in themselves are hair raising against this man. And it's not just doesn't take a big stretch of the imagination to think that such a person could be sadistic or cruel. But if anyone had any doubt, I mean, look, look at this behavior. It's just confounding. Nobody that I spoke to in this field has seen anything like this, including many lawyers I spoke to. And so I just wanted to make, make it clear that if anybody thinks that this is thinking about doing this in their own case or saw the news about it and, and said, Oh my goodness, you know, it fell flat on its face. It's not a serious move. It's designed to intimidate, but I really hope, I really hope that nobody thinks that this is a way to handle this moving forward because I doubt there's anybody, anybody, especially in Muncie who doubted beforehand whether or not this Lichter, where this, if there's any fire, where there's smoke in regards to the Lichter story. I mean, seeing how her family handled this, I think everyone's pretty certain now <laughs> who the guilty party is. And yeah, I, I hope nobody else tries this. That's all. Timeline wise, she started speaking out and making accusations or allegations. And she was already in touch with you or other advocates or did no, she um, seek you out when she got the petition no so i was asked to help out way in late in the game which was when she had not been actually i i was contacted by people in muncie during the summer and knew about this and asked me to see what i can do to help because her father was allegedly bullying and beating literally beating up people who were talking about this and i refused to because I did not, I can't just reach out to people randomly and say, Hey, did so-and-so, so-and-so, did this happen to you? And can I help you? You know I mean? 
you know, I'm not just going to call some random woman or strange, uh, you know, so I, I took a long time for her to get connected with me many, many months. And that was like during the reporting period. And just to make it clear, this was not any kind of public allegations or anything, you know, nothing public about this. And my understanding is that she made very private allegations to certain people that she trusted and certain, you know, and it got, and the only reacting and public noise about this have been on the part of, like I said earlier, the average survivor doesn't want this to be talked about. The average survivor is not running around telling everybody. It, took, it takes them many, many years to even t confront it to themselves. And so they're often only forced to, to do so as a way to either claim their truth or claim their story or defend from, in this case, I commend her very, very much for having the the courage and the ability to see it for what it was and to be faced with such a bullying maneuver, to be told, to be forced to litigate your own sanity is itself crazy making. It's like a Kafkaesque night nightmare where you have to, the louder you scream that you're saying, the crazier you may sound. And that's really, I think, what they intended to do to her. But instead, she said, I have nothing to hide. I'm not afraid to do anything wrong. And she put her face on camera and declared her sanity for all to see. And I can assure you, she's as normal as, as you and I. And where is this case going now? I know you can't talk to, but what are next steps? I can tell you that Mr. Lister has not been sitting on his laurels. He's not been waiting. Again, very different than most cases. You know, the average person doesn't seek me out when they know I'm on their scent. I'm on their trail. I want to sound like a boogeyman, but people are usually running from me, not towards me. So the father reached out to you? Not to me, but he had. So a week after this case ended, and it hit, you know, it was publicized. I get a phone call from some guy in Muncie that identifies himself as a uh, Yidl Pachman on the phone and asking me to talk to me about the Lichter case. And then when I spoke to him, tells me that he's coming as the Gabai for the Skvere of Flatbush, who recently moved to Muncie, Yitzchak Torsky is his name, and who investigated the case with the father, I guess, and a panel of rabbis. This is what's being presented to me, both from the left and from the right. And they're convinced that Mr. Lichter is a victim, not an abuser, but they invite me to come bring whatever evidence I have to change their mind because they believe a grave mistake is made here and that I'm caught, I, I guess I'm destroying this man's reputation or whatever. Of course, it took like an hour for me to find out that this guy is the right-hand guy of some other big Muncie big shot who, whose name he dropped on the call, right? And then also that this Pachman guy and Lichter are in business, like they do business together. Like I, they're being sued as co-conspirators in, in, a, in a fraud scheme. And I think to myself, what planet am I on? Like, well, how is this even real life? Like the average case I have, like I said, they're rather running away or they're trying to keep as little noise as possible. This guy's dragging his daughter to court and losing. And then <laughs> having some guy, some schnook, call me up, trying to tell me he's coming to of some rabbi in Muncie who already investigated the case without ever having spoken to the potential victim, right? Or any of their supporters. And they already found him innocent. Uh, but it's a coincidence that they're business partners. I mean, it's just the most bizarre way I've ever seen anyone handle allegations about themselves in my life. But that's just been the case with the Lichter case, since you asked. So what do you do? 
What's that doing in this case? Where do you go from here? Yeah. Is this Um, going to drag on for years and just... I have no idea, honestly. I I cannot speak for... The future. The survivor. I can tell you that what I think she hopes is that she's left alone and that nobody takes her to court and that nobody sends Rabbanim after her or after her supporters. That's a very or, low ask. The or business, very low. <laughs> or business, or business associates, or whatever, or some combination of the two. And she, you know, she wants to be left alone to heal. Whatever works out with whatever shakes out of the process, shakes out of the process. I don't know. Whoever's dealt with uh, the legal system knows that these things take a long time, and they're not on our timeline. And frankly, I don't even think that she's really looking. You know, at this again. I, I want to stay. Actually, I want to stay away from speaking on her behalf because I'm not, I'm not authorized to, and I don't. I, and I again, I, I don't want to speculate. But my sense is that she wants to be left alone, <laughs> and I hope she is. So, is this how this ends, or are you? And I guess you're using this platform as a campaign against these people who think they're creating I mean, their look, own business. I mean, look, I just so we're clear, and I think Francisca, you could. You could test to this. We you, we talked about doing this show regarding that case immediately after the the, the story aired, and the interactions I'm describing to you about from uh, Yidel Pachman and and this Yitzchak Torsky, this Rabbi Square Rebbe, whatever, happened very recently in the last week or two, like after we'd already tentatively agreed to discuss this. Um, and so I'm certainly not using this to. No, I'm asking, what's the plan? This is just getting so weird the pla- every look, so minute the pl- right. what's the right plan? so right so it, it, it's important to remind everybody or remind you. you no it's important i to remind just everybody. feel like the story you just opened this can of worms where do nobody's we go from choosing to have this interactions right had her parents not pulled her into court and f- and tried to claim she's crazy this this would not be a public story right now nobody would be talking about it right like most and cases. Had, exactly and had and had um, they not bothered me or tried to run after me to to clear his name, quote unquote, right? After that, we would have been having a discussion about a, a, a much more abstract discussion about this story. But it's just interesting that in the time I'm explaining, I want the I want the listeners and I want people to understand that when people come forward, when people the ones who are being accused, in the first instance, they're being accused of horrible, really cruel and depraved things. And so we should understand that they will continue to do really horrible, cruel and depraved things to, to stay free or to, or to declare their name. And, and if this is happening, people should hear about it because this is how it stops happening. And if it happens to be happening to somebody in some form or fashion, you can scale it up or scale it down. This is certainly not the worst case of intimidation I've ever seen. And it's not the easiest, but they should understand that this is all the desperate flailings of guilty people and they're not alone and there's people who can handle these things for them and help them and they will win they will win they just need to understand that bullies are terrified of something that's why they bully it's unbelievable it is it's really you listen but it's to me the chutzpah right it's the chutzpah of people to believe that they can marshal sympathy they can marshal they can have people you know go and alter their day for the, on their behalf. <laughs> you know, it's just to me, blows my mind. The, the average person doesn't have such chutzpah. The average person doesn't have such 
presumption. I, I think twice and three, four times before I call a strange person. I, I mean, I have to get over my shyness and I have to get like just the, like the average person. And in the meantime, on behalf of an alleged rapist, child rapist, trafficker, bully. And um, I have to tell you, right, again, this is not, this is not like, like a platform so to hit anybody. But I mean, in the first case, this man, Mr. Lister, Menachem Lister, is known throughout Muncie as a nasty, litigious, untrustworthy gangster. He's got a million lawsuits against everybody and their uncle. Ask, ask around his neighborhood. I went, I asked around his neighborhood. Nobody has a nice thing to say about this person. Nobody wanted to come and support the victim. Nobody wanted to put their nose in because he's, they're afraid of him. But the idea that you can have somebody go and make phone calls on your behalf when you're that far behind the eight ball requires a level of chutzpah that's just, I think maybe only such people could have. The state can't sue him without the daughter on board. Well, I mean, I believe that the government is investigating. I mean, the criminal side of everything is the state is it's the state's case. The state takes as long and does and makes whatever calculations they make. Um, in these cases, the victim is only the witness. Right. Because it's a and criminal so, investigation. Correct. And so there's really not much I can speak to about that other than to say that I believe there's one ongoing. Okay. I want to just bring this into context of, you know, where we're holding. I remember you reached out to me maybe a week or two after October 7th, updating me on cases that were happening. And I remember just being in shock. How, how can there still be evil, Jew on Jew evil, when we have, I, I don't want to compare horrible things with each other, but I, I just couldn't imagine that both can coexist but yeah, you have to keep, we, we have just horrible things happening in our own backyards and we can't, we you can't know, stop. I just want to say, yeah, you know, the term charity starts at home, never stops. It's, it's important to always protect one another from the, the threats from without, from outside. And October 7th definitely illustrates that. But we also have to protect from threats from within. The Torah mentions all these things. That's because they happen. Is there anything else you want to bring up on this episode? I wanted to give the listeners a update on the Daskal case because that there is updates. And I also wanted to share with everybody what's going on in this case and to remind anybody who might be thinking about whether or not they have the support or the, or the wherewithal or the, or, or, you know, the ability to make their own claim or face their own justice reach out to Francisca bit. She knows how to get in touch with me. I assure you you won't be alone and I assure you there are options. It's a great reminder. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around until the end. Don't forget to write in, send your messages and your feedback. I love hearing from you. Share this podcast with other people. And this is a Jewish Coffeehouse podcast. So don't forget to check out the other incredible podcasts on the network. See you next time.